Does that work now? That's better. Good morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, since we cannot stand before you relying on anything that we have done, help us trust in your abiding grace and live according to your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Let all God's people say amen. Amen. With the sound of the hammer clanging against the nails, still ringing in the ears, the hammer that clanged against the nails that posted the 95 theses on the castle door of Wittenberg Church, we grab this page out of the history books for ourselves today, rip it out, throw it to our breast and say thank you lord for the events of this day and we throw it up and thrust it into the air and we're going to celebrate it on this reformation sunday i suppose that to some this page that we rip out of the history book called reformation sunday is going to be musty and repulsive smelling to others it's probably going to seem old-fashioned and totally irrelevant in this modern and more enlightened age in which we live. I mean, we're oh so smarter than we were 505 years ago, of course, right? But for us, what Paul wrote is true. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, we are the fragrance of life. And so you and I today recall for ourselves what is the essence of the Reformation. The essence of the Reformation, pure and simple, is God's grace shining its brightest, or at least one of its most brightest moments in the history of the world, restoring the glory of the gospel back to a dark and sin-filled world. Or the glory of the Reformation, the glory of this gospel, this word of God that is our great heritage, Paul described it beautifully in the, in the third chapter of Romans. He said, therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. As I mentioned in Bible class this morning, the church of Luther's time had become a business. It was a business and its merchandise was religion. Money brought for, bought forgiveness. Deceived souls were sent thinking that they were all a-okay with God by buying indulgences or putting offerings in the plate, and then souls were heading to hell unrepentant, and they didn't need to be. Fallen creation, a fallen church, what had been a message of full and free and faithful grace preached by God's church, the vehicle that was supposed to bring his unadulterated, pure, pure word to the God's people to save them. The church had reshaped that word. The church had distorted that word. The church had totally concorded, concorded it, contorted it into a man-made religious system. It was all business, and the merchandise was religion that it peddled. 
A fallen creation was one thing. A sin-stained people was another. But now to have the church, which was God's appointed vehicle to bring the truth of salvation to his people, to restore them to the life of light of Jesus Christ and the gospel of sins forgiven and eternal life because of him, that church was now distorted and defigured itself. It was a deformed church. And God had every right to finally, after all these millennia, throw his hands up and walk away from the whole mess and throw us away like a chipped tea, chip teacup. But God did not. He did not and he never will walk away from his creation after all the promises that he's made to us and leave this world of his in the hands and the designs of the devil. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. But my words, and what he means by that also, is my Father's words will never pass away. Today, you and I observe the 505th anniversary of the posting of the 95 Theses, which many ways we have said in the past is the birth of confessional Lutheranism, and that is true. But it would probably be more accurate to say that it's the rebirth of the preaching of the light of the gospel into a dark, contorted, distorted, deformed church, and to try to restore that church that would preach the gospel, the law and gospel, sin and grace, purely to God's people, so that they may be saved for salvation, saved for eternity. This morning we give thanks for the heritage of our fathers, for the heritage of our mothers, for the heritage of the past prophets and apostles. We give thanks for the past pastors who have taught us God's word. And we thank the Lord for humble men like Martin Luther. Uh, if he found out that we actually did end up calling his church Lutherans uh, instead of just Christians, um, I think he would still be just a wee bit me peeved with us. But such as it is, the heritage of living under the miraculous power of God's word is the heritage of the Lutheran Reformation. We fellow heirs of the Reformation, today is the day that you and I get to relish and to remember that God's word is our great heritage. And just don't forget, I don't make a big deal out of it, but what's a synonym of heritage? It's an inheritance. God's word is your great inheritance. The truth of which Jesus speaks to us this morning in our gospel lesson, in our sermon text, is a promise that became news over 2,000 years ago when God, when heaven intersected with earth. It is when God gave over his son into a, the lowliness of a barn, starting his human life on the lowest rung of that ladder, and going down, down, down from there, working his way down to the place until he suffers the torments of the damned. Jesus was his name. Christ was his title. And this was his mission and his assignment for his father and willingly taken on for us. He lived among us in human form for 33 years and his work is history. Jesus did it. Did what? He spoke the truth. He spoke the truth in his teaching, he spoke the truth in his message, and he spoke the truth in his solution. His message was this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you claim you have not sinned, you make God out to be a liar, 
and that's never a good idea. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, and that's true. So that's his message. What was his teaching? Well, it wasn't complicated. In fact, it was really quite simple. I came from the Father and entered the world, which means that if he came from the Father, he was of the same essence as the Father. So this is God speaking to fallen humans the word of God, the message of life. And then what was ultimately his solution to all of this teaching and to this message? Himself. He gave over himself all 33 years for you. But a son belongs to this family forever. So if this son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I have come that they may have life. Freedom, or at least annulment, from the curse of the sin upon our lives is what we needed most. What he gave us was full and free forgiveness. Not just neutrality and a zero credit in our debt book, but now considered to be sons of the sun. Forgiveness is what he gave us. Christ, Christ comes to us through his word and he strips off that shiny veneer on the outside that makes you look all happy and sweet and light, and like the little, good little Christian that you want everybody to believe. And he comes to us and he shows us our real selves. He blows off the lid of all of our lies that we tell ourselves, all of our self-deceptions that we tell ourselves. You stand next to Jesus for just a few seconds. That's all it's going to take. And you will cry out along with the Apostle Peter, Go away from me, Lord. Because I am a sinful man. You can't stand next to him for one than that without crying out the truth. And if you... If you can't cry out that truth, you not only make God to be a liar, but you're continuing to lie to yourself, which is the worst offense, going against your own conscience. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he doesn't just walk away and in his robe of holiness turn and swish and you hear it, he pulls it up tight against himself and he leaves us standing in the dust in our puddle of sinfulness and our filthy rags of sinfulness. No, he doesn't do that. He stays with us. He stays with us as one determined to correct this conflict between us and our Father. Holiness of him, no holiness, sinfulness on our part. How does he do that? By giving you a, list of check, a checklist of do's and don'ts that you need to accomplish before the end of the week, before the end of your lifetime? Does he accomplish that conflict, resolution of that conflict between sinfulness and holiness by threatening you with the rod and beating you into submission until you finally say, okay, I give, I give, I'm a sinner, help me. Does he threaten you before he'll announce righteousness upon you? One of Luther's many many beautiful writings, of which many of those beautiful writings were beautiful and gorgeous prayers. It answers the question. It answers the question that we've just asked. Lord Jesus,
You are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. Amen. Who can understand such love as that? When I didn't want him, when I wanted just to reject him and push him away, when I was completely unfit for his company, he loved me, gave himself up for me, and brought me into the bright circle of his fellowship, which means that he brought me into the bright circle of God's family. And you hear those words, and I pray your heart sighs a great, huge sigh of relief. When you read the words of our text, you simply can't deny it. Jesus puts a big, giant equal sign between true discipleship and following his teaching. Now, the best compliment that I could personally bestow upon Martin Luther is that the fact that he took God and his word seriously. And there's a struggle for you and me, even today, even now. You and I, lifelong Christians, sometimes, many times, oftentimes, few times, have a hard time taking God seriously, taking his word seriously. You see, neglecting the word of God can lead to a hollow form of Christianity. Oh, we're going to have that nice shiny veneer on the outside making us look so ever so good, but what's on the inside? Is there anything of substance on the inside? That's, that's where this hollow Christianity leads to. So, let me ask you, how is your life of true discipleship going? Because the old maxim still holds true. To treasure the word of God is to treasure the one who gave it. When Jesus' word is in your heart, Jesus is in your heart. And the Reformation continues to be alive and active in you. So, what are you doing to live as a true disciple of Jesus? The Reformation is not just a day ripped out of the history books that we just kind of have this sweet and glorious praising and remembrance of what happened 505 years ago. The Reformation lives on when you take your grandson, your granddaughter, and say, come, I want to share a story with you. It's a story about how God came to earth to save you and I from our sins so that he could bring us to live with him forever. And you read them the Christmas account from Luke chapter 2. It's a time that when you pull your husband aside and share the story of Hezekiah, how he prayed for 15 more years and God granted him 15 more years of life. And say there, nothing is impossible with God. The Reformation lives on when you turn to the word of the Lord for comfort and strength whenever you need it. When you feel the hot breath of a lion baking against your neck, when you get the C word announced to you from your doctors, when you find out that maybe your children's marriage isn't going so well and you're praying earnestly that God will fix this, keep them together, 
whatever, whatever occurrence that may be in your life, the Reformation lives on when you give God's Word the opportunity to daily, hourly maybe even, reform you. That gives you the zeal, gives you the burning desire, gives you, you can't hold me back and keep my mouth shut. I have to share this Word of life with those that I know in this world before it's too late because this is our time of grace. And once they're gone, they're gone. This is what Jesus is looking for. What he's looking for and what the city desperately needs is not more doctors. And Abby, sorry, we don't need more nurses, although we do, humanly speaking. What we need is more heirs of the Reformation who are sharing the God-given heritage, the God-given inheritance that he has entrusted into your heart and put into your mouth to speak the truth of what sin really does to the human soul, to speak the truth of what God has done through Jesus to conquer that sin and to give us eternal life. The heirs of the Reformation continue to cherish God's word as your great heritage. If it helps you remember it, continue to cherish God's word as your great inheritance. Hear his message one more time. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. May his truth and the knowledge of his abiding love continue to live in you, abide in you, and you live for it. To the glory of God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite the congregation to stand at this